0: And this idea that, well, we're not allowed to be interesting and dynamic, we have to stick to the topic exactly, I think is really doing most B2B companies some harm.
1: The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. everyone. We are back with another episode of the B2B MX podcast. Claudia Tirico here. I am a uh My day job is editor of Demand Gen Report. I also obviously host this podcast and I am essentially the person putting together the entire content agenda for our B2B Marketing Exchange event, which is coming up so, so quickly and I'm so excited. So yeah, today we're going strong with our speaker introductions on the pod. Like I said, I cannot believe B2BMX is coming up in just a few weeks. I'm personally so excited to get away from this New Jersey winter for a little while. So, yeah, lots of stuff to look forward to. But this week we have the incredible Jay Bear on the pod, and I am so stoked to have the chance to chat with him today. Jay honestly, I mean, in my opinion, doesn't really need much of an introduction. He's practically B2B royalty at this point. But if you've been living under a rock, Jay Bear, top-rated keynote speaker, founder of Convince and Convert, best-selling author, founder of actually like five multi-million dollar companies. I mean, the list goes on on and on. With all that said, Jay somehow found the time to not only come out to Scottsdale to deliver one of our keynotes, he is here with me today to chat, so I am one lucky girl. Jay, how's it going? Thank you so much for taking the time.
0: Claudia, 100% my pleasure. Cannot wait to speak with you today really pumped to see a lot of old friends and make some new friends at B2B Marketing Exchange in the Valley of the Sun, where I spent uh, many of my formative years. Always nice to get back there. My mom still lives there. It's going to be awesome.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So fun. I honestly, I can't wait. It's so cold in New Jersey, man. (laughs) I don't want to be here anymore. (laughs) Listen, Jay, I wanted to kick off the conversation because I personally, I want to get to know you a little better. Give me a brief elevator type, uh, Jay Bear History Lesson. How did you get started in this world of marketing, speaking, entrepreneurship, and everything you do?
0: It makes perfect sense in retrospect, made no sense at the time. I started in politics I was a political campaign consultant running campaigns for Congress and even worked on some presidential campaigns, etc. Realized pretty quickly though, Claude, that that's a rough gig, not, not really an awesome sort of work environment. So I got out of that and got into what we would now call traditional marketing. Back then we just called it marketing because there was no internet. So I did traditional marketing for some big companies for a little while. And then I I got a job as a spokesperson for a state agency in Arizona. I was the spokesperson for the Department of Juvenile Corrections. So my job was more or less to give tours of juvenile prison. And that's not awesome, really, day to day. And I learned that pretty quickly. That sounds
1: quickly. like a Maury episode.
0: Totally, uh, it really was. <laughs> and and I was like, man, I don't want to give any more tours of this prison. And I went out and had some beers with some friends of mine in Phoenix, and we'd all gone to college together at the University of Arizona in Tucson. And they said, hey, you know, we started this company and it's an internet company. It's getting kind of big and we don't know anything about marketing. And I said, well, that's cool because I don't know anything about the internet. And this was 1993, 1993, when domain names were still free. And I said, I don't care that I don't know anything about this. I'm not going to give any more tours of this prison. So I walked in the next day, quit. And started a couple of days later as the vice president of marketing for an internet company, having never really been on the open internet. These were the American Online, CompuServe, Prodigy days. And from there to here, I started a couple of companies in Phoenix on the advice and consulting side, and then started convince to convert 13 years ago. And along the way, started a blog and wrote six books, and I started giving presentations 10, 12 years ago. And so it all makes sense, you know. I've done a thousand podcast episodes, and and all the rest. I only made two good decisions ever, Claudia. One was to convince my wife to marry me, which I've never worked that hard before or since on anything. Like it, re- <laughs> it required like a, talk about a full funnel effort, right? Like there was pipeline acceleration, there was demand gen, there was, I worked hard at it, right? A whole system. Uh, it's the ultimate ABM when you just know who you want to marry you. So I did that, was really smart. And the only other thing I did well was was to sort of get involved in digital and B2B marketing very, 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 very early and have the good sense to not get out.
1: I love that. That is an awesome story. And you know what? Listen, I am so sure that we've gone through massive change in the past two years, let's say, but as an industry, but even- Cra- like even crazier so much has changed since you started right i mean i'm sure and i actually asked i asked marcus sheridan this same question last week i know you you both are such huge influencers in the space you're you're veterans at this point so tell me what you learned back then when first starting out that you still focus on all of these years later and a full pandemic later well
0: it's actually one of the topics in my presentation coming up at the event This idea that you can never be too specific or too relevant. When I was a political consultant, one of the things I learned from some of my mentors is that what poor candidates do is they talk about a bunch of issues. And what great candidates do is they figure out as quickly as possible what issue matters to you and that's the only issue they talk about. So I was a direct mail specialist when I was in politics, which actually has a lot of applicability to what I do now as a marketer and a customer experience advisor, because as a direct mail specialist, you almost never want to send a direct mail piece about a lot of things because no one's going to read it. What you do is a lot of research, and, and back then it was a lot harder because we didn't have all the databases, but there are still ways to figure it out. Like, Okay, Claudia is really interested in education or the environment or crime or whatever your issue is, and then I write and send to you a series of of direct mail pieces on that topic, and that level of relevancy and specificity creates attention and changes attitudes and causes behavior, and marketing works the exact same way. It's just now we have a lot more tools and technologies to make it happen.
1: Very, very cool. that's one topic of your presentation right but another is you know clearly content right so I want to talk content I know that's somewhat your forte you know convincing convert is big on content so what is the current state of content marketing right now I know we're just like We're flooded with content. Buyers are obviously smarter than ever. They don't have all this time to devote their energy to every single message, every single white paper that comes their way. So how can marketers stand out and just really grab that attention that is so, so vital these days?
0: Well, it's kind of a funny situation in that we are creating more content than ever, Research from Forrester found that total marketing messages increased by 40% last year, 40% in one year. So everybody in marketing is like, yeah, let's just make more stuff. That's the secret. Well, the problem is already two thirds of B2B buyers say that marketers give them too much material. So so your target audience already says, hey, man, it's too much. And we're like, how about 40% more? And so obviously, volume is not the secret, right? And at the same time, as you know, the work that you do, the amazing work that everybody does at Demand Gen Report, content ain't free, right? It's not even inexpensive. It's just different expensive. Maybe it doesn't cost you as much in media dollars, but production costs continue to go up because content gets more and more complex and interactivity, et cetera, video. And so a lot of organizations are spending serious, serious money on content marketing. And then the question is, does that actually pay off? And in many cases, as we know from a lot of research that's been done in the industry, no, right? So we keep making more content, but the average return on investment for that content, I think, is mediocre at best. And so that's the presentation that I'm bringing to the stage at B2B Marketing Exchange is about how to cross the moat of your B2B buyer's attention. No one is going to wake up tomorrow and say, man, you know, it'd be awesome if I could get more content. Like no one says that, right? It's like nobody says, can I get more email either? But that doesn't mean you can't be effective. You just have to understand how to be radically relevant because relevancy is what people actually care about.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I'm so excited for your keynote just for that. And I, I'm dying to hear what these different drawbridges are to get to that buyer. B2B has often been known as boring, right? When it comes to content. And this is kind of a perfect question for you because you are far from boring. I mean, <laughs> guys, if you've ever seen this man's suits alone, I mean, come on. Yeah, You
0: picking up my suit? That's the deal, right? I have 14 plaid suits now. And you. I think we decided that you get to pick out which color I'm wearing. So I've not seen your selection come through the list yet.
1: Time out because I had no idea this was a thing.
0: Yes. So if you go to dressjbear.com, anybody can go if you want to, but especially Claudia, (laughs) dressjbear.com, you'll see the 14 different suits that I have, all different colors, and you get to pick which one you want. Now, you could get one to match the B2B Marketing Exchange logo, or maybe you want a different color than the logo. You get to pick.
1: That is freaking awesome. I love that. That's such a great genius idea, Jay.
0: We actually have it wired behind the scenes. So once you pick it, it drops on my calendar so I know what to pack.
1: That's awesome awesome. I love that. And I can't, I'm literally, once we finish recording this podcast, I'm going right on that website and we're doing it and I'm so excited. And then whatever I pick, I'm going to try to match you that day. Cause I'm, I'm big on fashion. It's
0: going to be like prom. I love <laughs> totally, it.
1: Totally. Totally. It. I'll bring a,
0: you, know, you want a, a wrist corsage or, or the other kind?
1: A wrist corsage okay. because I actually, I broke my wrist a few months ago and I'm almost fully recovered now, finally. And so it'll be a nice compliment to my scar. <laughs> okay. Got it. Well, back to the top of B2B being boring. Can you share some advice on how B2B content marketers can be fun and colorful and lively and really just finally get away from that stigma that B2B is boring? What can you share to inspire marketers to really go beyond that basic white paper?
0: I mean, I think it's a simple truth, which is that your competition is not whomever sells whatever SaaS platform or, or ball bearing or airplane, brake pedal, whatever thing you sell in B2B, that's not your competition. It's not whomever sells what you sell. Your competition for attention is literally everything, right? Pete Davidson is competition, Right. The Grammys is competition. Tom Brady's retirement. That's competition. Every TikTok dance competition, because in our daily lives, we don't think about consuming content as well. Now, well, let me go consume some B2B content or let me go to the B2B place. Right. It's all mashed together like a casserole now. And so you have this really interesting hybridization of LinkedIn and TikTok. Right. And YouTube and Instagram and stuff that I do for fun versus stuff that I do for work. Our lives are not segmented in the way that they once were. So you have to understand that if you're going to go to the trouble to make content, especially high funnel content, right, that really is more awareness generating, you are competing against all the things not just other people in B2B. And in order to make that work, you've got to give yourself permission, and I use that word intentionally, you've got to give yourself permission to tell a bigger story, right? So some of the awesome award winners that you all pointed out in the Most Recent award show do that really well. So I think about like the Active Campaign recipe book, which I participated in a year or so ago, where, where they found a bunch of B2B influencers, myself and Marcus and Ann Handley and others, and said, hey, give us a recipe, a holiday time recipe From your childhood. And so I served up my Grammy's peanut butter blossom cookie recipe that was in the book. Now that doesn't really have much to do with marketing automation and CRM platforms, but it has everything to do with everybody who likes good holiday recipes, right? And so if you're going to try and create attention, you have to take a page out of the playbook of the B2C companies. And this idea that, well, We're not allowed to be interesting and dynamic. We have to stick to the topic exactly. I think is really doing most B2B companies some harm.
1: Very interesting. And you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, taking that just a few notes from B2C and watching the world around you, right? There's so many ways that you could like make some kind of connections, just like, you know, the recipes. So that's a really great example there. I want to take a moment to talk about some of your books because, I mean, you've written a bunch. Two of the latest come to mind, Hug Your Haters and Talk Triggers. Talk Triggers is about word of mouth, customer advocacy in a sense, right? While Hug Your Haters is on, you know, the customer service disruption. I'm just curious... These books both, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure my timing is correct here. But these books came out before the pandemic, right? Correct. Yes, yeah. So is there anything in Either of these books that you think should actually change now that we've been through this life-changing pandemic. If so, how? And if not, what will these two books teach audiences in this day and age, post-pandemic, socially distant, working from home, digital-first world, all that stuff?
0: Yeah, there's probably lots of little things that I would tweak if I rewrote those books today. That's the curse of of being a marketing and business author, right? There's always things that you're like, oh. That's no longer exactly how WhatsApp works or or whatever the circumstances are. But categorically, I wouldn't change much at all. And in fact, I would argue, and I'm not just saying this because I wrote the books, I would argue that both of those books and the advice they contain are more vital and more important today than when they were published. The Hug Your Haters formula on how to handle customer complaints and turn complaints into a victory for your brand is really, really timely because I think as we all know in our day-to-day lives, customers have gotten angrier and their willingness to call brands out, either appropriately or inappropriately, is at an all-time high. And as I talked about a lot in that book, the propensity of customer complaints and and customer brand interactions take place in public, in social media venues and ratings and review sites, continues to escalate. So what I talked about in Hug Your Haters about how to handle public customer complaints I think is still really important, and disappointingly, a lot of brands still don't do it particularly well. In the Talk Triggers book, which I wrote with Daniel Lemon, which is about how to create new customers by having your old customers tell stories about your business, is also perhaps more important than ever because one of the byproducts of the pandemic is that individual consumers trust brand messaging less – like I don't know. this all seems kind of weird. and but they trust each other more. And there's been a lot of research on this, some of which I'll bring to the stage in Phoenix, that consumers rely on reviews, word of mouth from peers, word of mouth from industry experts and influencers, et cetera, more than ever. And so this idea of how can you be strategic and proactive about word of mouth in your business as opposed to how almost every company does it, which is like, well, If we just run a good company, people will talk about us, which is not actually true. It's just really critical to have an actual plan for word of mouth and a strategy and a system. And most people don't still.
1: It's unfortunate. I mean, but hopefully everybody picks up these two books and all the other Jay Bear books because I can attest that they're fabulous and they're just awesome, awesome reads.
0: People should also get the Jay Bear newsletter. I should tell you about that, which is called The Bear Facts. tell me about it. The Bear Facts comes out every two weeks. Thebearfacts.com is how you get it. Every two weeks newsletter and each issue is something that actually happened in my life in the recent past. And then I use that experience to tell a marketing or customer experience lesson each issue also includes podcast reviews, book reviews, life hacks, tequila reviews, because I'm a licensed tequila sommelier and a bunch of other stuff. So it's fun. The bare facts.
1: Oh my God, Jay. I'm learning so much awesome stuff about you. So (laughs) I can't wait to hopefully have a tequila cocktail in Scottsdale. We're
0: coming to the event and you have any tequila questions, just find me. That goes for everybody and I will be happy to help.
1: Hey marketers, you've been waiting for it and it's finally happening. The B2B Marketing Exchange is back in person in Scottsdale. If you're a fan of the conversations we share on the B2BMX podcast, this event is literally made for you. Get a front row seat at sessions that will challenge everything you think you know about marketing. Plus, you'll finally get back to in-person networking in a safe, comfortable environment. As a B2BMX podcast listener, you'll get 50% off your ticket by using the code B2BMXPOD during registration. Check out the show notes for more information or head to b2bmarketing.exchange to register now. I have a tequila question real quick because I, am I too, am a big tequila fan. What's your favorite? Like, give me a good brand. That's what a do you tough like?
0: call. My favorite brand right now is only available online, but it is spectacular. It's called Wild Common. It's a new brand from the distillers of Cascajouin. It is owned by Andy Barden, who's a National Geographic photographer and champion rock climber. Uh, spectacular, spectacular tequila. In terms of one that would be a little easier to find in a very high-quality liquor store, I'm a big proponent of a brand called G4, which stands for fourth generation. Felipe Camarena is the distiller there, and he is an absolute mad scientist all the G4 expressions are are spectacular and and actually uh, reasonably priced because tequila prices have gotten um, a lot higher as there's a pretty significant agave shortage because there's so much tequila growth in the U.S. in terms of its consumption. So prices are going up and G4 is still pretty reasonable.
1: Very interesting. And I have heard really great things about G4. I actually remember like I had a friend order a cocktail with Casamigos and the bartender was like, you know what? No, Casamigos is overrated. Try G4. And we really, really enjoyed it. So that's a really good to know. Also, like, and I mean, I can't, like, the shortage is probably because every single celebrity out there has a tequila now, right?
0: That's part of it, for sure. (laughs) I mean, the celebrities are, you know, the celebrity tequila brands of which there are dozens and dozens, and even some kind of what you would consider to be second, third tier celebrities have tequila brands that that aren't as widely known, but within their own fan community, it drives a lot of sales. And so these celebrity tequila brands come in, and, and frankly, most of the celebrity brands are terrible. Almost all of them are terrible. It's kind of unfortunate. But they come in, they make the brands, which then sells a bunch of new tequila, which then causes even more agave shortages and prices to go up. And so it's just the numbers are staggering. Uh, Overall, tequila sales in the U.S., and the U.S. is by far the biggest market for tequila. It's up like 50%, 60% in two years. And the thing about tequila that people don't typically understand is that an agave takes seven years to mature. So you plant it now. You harvest it in 2029, and then once you harvest it, that's it. It's not like a grape, right, where you just get more grapes next year. You harvest it once, and it's gone. So it's a really – the resources needed to make tequila are extreme, and there's only so much land, et cetera. So it's a problem, and that's why I tell people who like tequila – If you find bottles that you like, buy them now because A, you may not be able to get it much longer and B, the price is definitely going up.
1: Wow, that is fascinating. And honestly, I did not expect to talk tequila on this podcast today. (laughs) So it's a very, very welcoming and happy. I I can also
0: come back and do barbecue. I'm also a certified barbecue judge. So if you want to talk about brisket and pulled pork and ribs, I can do that some other time.
1: Awesome, love that. I definitely made that memo there. One final question about content. What are your favorite types to consume? You listen to podcasts? Are you a reader? Where do you get your sources of inspiration and all that fun stuff?
0: For sure, all of it, just because I have to make content in every format, right? So I make videos every week, I do podcasts every week, I write every week, and so I don't really have a favorite child. But I'm old, right? So. To me, I still – if I had to pick and you said here's an array of things, same topic rendered multiple different ways, which is a best practice and I'll talk about a system for that in my presentation actually. I will always read first because that was all there was you know, when, I, when I first started consuming content. Like, like I still – and this is a little bit of embarrassing to admit. I still get two daily newspapers like delivered to my doorstep, which I know is hopelessly anachronistic, but that is just the way it is, right? You just get used to it and the tactile nature of it. So I will always read if given the preference, but I'm doing a lot more audio, especially because I try to walk a lot and I used to commute a lot more too. So podcasts would probably be my, my second favorite.
1: Awesome. Great stuff. All right, well, so obviously the B2B community, we're returning to Scottsdale after quite some time of virtual events. I know you've probably done a ton of them in the past two years, and even in person ones. So tell me about your virtual event experiences, either as an attendee or as a speaker. What do you think worked well? What didn't work well? And what is going to work in this hybrid world now that we're going into?
0: Hybrid's tough for speakers because it's difficult to know where to play, right? Are Are you trying to address the audience? Are you trying to address the camera? It's just the mechanics of that as a speaker are a little tricky, and I don't love it, actually on the hybrid side it's also hard as a speaker for virtual only because you don't really know if the material is landing and and I write a lot of new material I'll probably write three to four full-length Talks a month, so in 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 a given year I'll probably write fifty full speeches, and so it's a lot of new material. And in virtual, you're like, I think that's funny, but I have no proof of that, (laughs) right? Because you don't (laughs) you don't really hear the audience very often, right? So, and some people you know do put an LOL on the chat or whatever, but it's not quite the same. So it's a little trickier to read the room. I don't like that as much, but. I love virtual presentations and virtual events. I find if you do it right, the audience is actually much more prone to participate because it's not socially awkward. They're much more prone to ask questions if you pull it out of them because they can just type it in the chat and I have to grab the microphone and stand up and let everybody look at them. And so I think there's a lot of really great elements of virtual meetings and I hope we don't disappear them post-pandemic so I think there's, there's a definitely a time and place for virtual and obviously a time and place for in-person.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how all of that evolves and how hybrid evolves and what's gonna work well and what won't. Cause yeah, it's still all up in the air. So it's it's actually fun and exciting, right?
0: It is absolutely fun and exciting and keeps you on your toes. I mean, even on the virtual side, I mean there are so many different platforms. Obviously, Zoom very popular, but there's so many others. And as a presenter, you have to know the differences of each technology because they are different. Some have a five second delay and that changes how you can do audio inserts or video inserts and others have chat and not Q&A and some have Q&A but not chat. And sometimes you can use external cameras and sometimes you can't and sometimes you can't use Keynote. You only have to use PowerPoint or whatever, right? And so there's all of this different variation per platform that you kind of have to sort out when you're working on your material and doing your run throughs. and, And that's been an interesting challenge over the last couple of years, for sure.
1: Interesting. Jay, we're coming down to the wire. My final question for you is, what's next for Jay Bear?
0: Working on a new national study of customer expectations around speed and responsiveness. My thesis is that it doesn't matter if you're the bestest, if you're always the fastest. And so I'm trying to validate that with some new research, assuming I can do so. I will write a new keynote on that topic and get that perfected and probably turn it into a book sometime this year.
1: I love that. Great stuff from you, Jay. Always a pleasure to chat. That is all the questions I have for you. Thank you so much for joining me. I cannot wait to see you in Scottsdale and have a tequila drink and see your suit. It's just so many fun things. I'm really, really excited. Thank you so much for joining me today.
0: My pleasure. And a reminder, friends, if you see me at the event, ask me tequila questions. But if you don't like the suit, blame Claudia. (laughs)
1: I'll take that. I'll take that. No problem. All right, folks, that is a wrap on today's episode. Thank you all for for tuning in. And if you're out there listening and you enjoyed this conversation and last week's conversation and two weeks ago's conversation, you want to be in Scottsdale with us at B2B MX. So the link to register will be in our show notes. So I really, really hope to see you there. And of course, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any new episodes. You could do so on your podcast podcast player of choice. And of course, catch us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Share your feedback with us. Let me know who else you want to hear from on the pod or just say hi or tell me which tequila you want me to try that you like. So I will talk tequila all day. That's it, everyone. Thank you again for joining me on the B2BMX podcast today, and I will catch you all next week. Bye.